morning, we continue to read from Matthew chapter 11 this morning, beginning in verse 2. Listen for the word of the Lord. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look! Those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet... The least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is the word of God for the people of God. So this morning in this passage, John the Baptist is asking questions about Jesus. He's wondering if Jesus is the Messiah. Is he the one to reveal God's love come alive in human form in the world? He's asking, is Jesus is the real deal? Is he's the one? You may have had similar kinds of questions. You may have been wondering, is Jesus the one I should follow? Is this one I should pay attention to? Is this really Messiah, Christ, Redeemer, Savior of the world? Could this person really be Lord of my life? We all have seasons of wondering You may be in one now. I've had seasons where I've had more questions than answers and other times where I've felt sure. John the Baptist was the same way earlier in this gospel. He speaks as if he is sure that Jesus is the one. And now here we have him asking questions as if he's not sure, asking if Jesus is the one or should we wait for another. Let me read verse 3 to you again. Are you the one who is to come? Or are we to wait for another? John is wondering not only about identity, but about commitment. He wants to know who Jesus is, but he also wants to know what he should do about it. He wants to know, should he make a commitment to follow? Jesus answers the questions in verse 4. He says to John's disciples, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. Now some of this may be a little prophetic hyperbole. No one has been raised from the dead in this gospel yet. There's one story in the gospel that's already been told about a young one who People thought had died a young girl. Jesus says, oh, no, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. And then he revives her. But nonetheless, we have stories about the things that Jesus has been saying up until chapter 11. Stories about what Jesus is teaching, but also stories about how he's 
interacting with people who have been marginalized, those who are listed here, the blind, the lame, the lepers, the deaf, and the poor, groups of people that have been pushed to the edges of society. And the stories in the gospel tell us how Jesus reached out to them and included them in his ministry and helped reintegrate them back into the communities in which they live, back into the community of faith. Richard Rohr is a Franciscan priest He's become ever more popular over these last few years as he's become a well-known retreat leader, plus he's published several books. He writes about this very topic. I've put a short quote in the outline for you from Father Rohr. He says, The only groups that Jesus seriously critiques are those who include themselves and exclude others from the always given grace of God. He goes on to say, those at the edge of any system and those excluded from any system ironically and invariably hold the secret for the conversion and wholeness of that very group. They always hold the feared, rejected, and denied parts of the group's soul. You see, therefore, why the church was meant to be that group that constantly went to the edges, to the least of the brothers and sisters, and even to the enemy. Jesus was a theological genius, but he was also a psychological and sociological genius. When any church defines itself by exclusion of anybody, it is always wrong. Now, Matthew's gospel makes clear that Jesus has come for these folks, the ones who have been marginalized, the people who were routinely excluded and left out of the everyday workings of society. Jesus has come to help and to heal and to reintegrate people who have been pushed to the margins. And remember that Jesus has known vulnerability in his own life. He is born into a poor family, born in a manger, grown up not at the center of power in the world in which he lived, but in the backwater area, you might say, out of the way from where things are really happening. He knows what it is to be vulnerable also because there's a foreign power inhabiting his land. The Gospels make clear that he comes as one here to serve and reveal that the love of God is extended to all of God's children. He is telling John's disciples and you and me what to pay attention to, what to look for if we want to know where God is at work in the world. And then after he responds to these disciples from John and sends them on their way, he turns to those others who are around him, crowds of people the gospels say who are listening wanting to know what he might reveal to them and he asked them three times what are you looking for what did you go out to see then in verse 9 he asked them the last time and then he answers his own question he says to these crowds what then did you go out to see a prophet yes he says a prophet And not only a prophet, but more than that. Jesus proclaims that John was a prophet, 
sent as a messenger of God, that God is at work and through John and is getting ready to be at work through Jesus in even more remarkable ways, but that God is at work through these people and sent out John ahead of you to prepare the way. God is working in the future, you might say. This is good news for us to hear that God's already at work in the world, but it has some deeper theological implications about who Jesus is and how God is working through him, who John the Baptist is, and how this helps us answer some questions about who is God and how do you connect to this love of God that Jesus says is available to all. Well, the answer in our story today says that God is at work reaching out to you and to everyone. That God is at work sending you a message of love and inclusion and redemption. That God is out ahead of you preparing your way even before you know it. Can you believe that? Can you believe that God loves you, that God cares about you personally, that God, in fact, works to prepare a way for you, that God is out ahead of you to help make a way for you to know life eternal and life abundant. That's what this gospel is proclaiming about God and who God is and how God works in our lives. But Jesus moves on from that and makes this comparison between the greater and the least and says, John the Baptist, he's the one greatest prophet, none greater, in fact. But then he says, but anyone, everyone living in the kingdom of heaven is greater than that. Listen again to verse 11. Truly, I tell you. Among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That's a quick shift to make from here's the greatest to ah, not so much. Even the least in this other realm is greater than that. I was trying to think of how I can help us grasp this. I think it's sort of like a group of people having a discussion about which racehorse is the fastest? And finally, one declares emphatically, this horse is the fastest of all. And then after a quick moment says, but you know, compared to cars, that horse is nothing. It shifts the whole conversation in terms of what you should be focusing on and where you should be looking. The conversation has been about who's greatest on earth. Jesus makes a shift and says, don't be focusing so much on just the earth. Think about heaven. Think about things eternal. Think about how God is at work in the world. Jesus says that if you want to compare this life on your own to life with God, there's no comparison. Oh, if you want to compare yourself to other people on earth, go ahead. But if you want to compare what's really important, look toward what God is doing in your world. That's what Jesus is talking about in terms of saying the kingdom of heaven has come near and that anyone 
who moves into living like that with God at the center is greater than anything one might experience in terms of earthly things. Maybe this helps. Back up in verse 8, when Jesus is asking, what are you looking for? He says, are you looking for soft robes? Well, don't come to the wilderness because soft robes are found in palaces. Now, often in the Bible, wealth is condemned because it's ill-gotten wealth. It's wealth that a few have by exploiting the many. It's considered wealth taken in illegal ways and immoral ways from the working people. So Jesus is looking at that, but he's looking at more than that. Not just wealth on earth, but again, he's wanting you to compare how heaven comes to earth. What happens when you quit focusing only on your own life and let God invade your life and then transform it? He says you can have treasure on earth, but treasure in heaven, if you grasp that, there is no comparison. It's maybe like this. Is it, is it better to receive or is it better to give? Is it better to hoard stuff or is it better to share? Is it better to always have someone serving you or is it better to find a way to serve others? Is it the best way to live your life to focus only on yourself alone or is it better to think about others and your community and how you might enrich the life of another, how you might include one who's been pushed to the edges or the margins of society. Jesus is saying this life with God, this kingdom of heaven, is a whole different set of values as to what is important. Jesus is saying this is a new way to look at your life. This is a new set of values, a new set of priorities by which you could organize your life. And if you do, if you understand this is all part of the love of God transforming you, then the life you will experience going forward is no comparison to what happened before. No longer like on earth where the rich and powerful are at the apex or at the center. No, this kingdom of heaven, as Jesus speaks about it, puts the excluded and common folks at the center jesus is proclaiming that god's love is available to all of us jesus is saying i have come for these people who've been pushed to the side the blind the lame the lepers the deaf the poor and even the dead i have come to lift them all up to proclaim that all of them are children of god that all of them are to be included in the community of faith. And then he says, if you know what to pay attention to, if you can hear and see what is happening and that God's love is doing all this, then go and tell. Way back up in verse 4, he says to them, go and tell John what you hear and see. Go and tell someone you know what you hear and see about God's love coming into the world. Part of Advent is preparing our hearts and minds to receive God's love through Christ, but it's also preparing, allowing God to use us to express that to others who have yet to hear 
this great good news. Over the summer, I read a book called The Moment of Lift. The Moment of Lift. I don't know if you've heard about it. It's written by Melinda Gates. She talks about the work she's doing in her life. It's a remarkable story. She is one of the richest women on the planet. And yet she's devoting herself to the poorest people in the world. She goes to these poorest countries and then the poorest people, usually women with children, and begins to work with them to improve their lives. She travels to these desperate places on the planet and talks to these poorest of the poor. She talks to those who are serving them, whether they be doctors or missionaries or government leaders or social workers. She helps fund if they have a plan to lift them out of poverty she wants to help if they don't have a plan she works with them to devise one and then helps fund it now think about this she's one of the richest people in the world she could spend all of her time at private clubs doing fancy dinners and parties she could travel around the world on private jets seeing the wonders of the world and yet when she travels around the world, so often she's going to a place where there's such poverty that we can hardly imagine it. Working with the people who are in the most desperate circumstances, who lack food and water and medical care, the basics of life. And she's devoting herself and her resources, vast resources, to trying to lift these people out of these circumstances. I think it's the exact shift and a dramatic example of the shift of which Jesus is speaking of not having the rich at the center of all things as the most important, but reorienting according to the kingdom of heaven priorities and putting the poor at the center and making sure those who have been pushed to the edges are gathered up in the love of God. Jesus says to these disciples who come wondering who he is, go and tell what you hear and see. Go and share what you have experienced. Go and tell your story. May we be ready to do that during this season of Advent and Christmas. Amen.